Hello, and welcome to the Green Minds podcast. Showcasing the science, stories and solutions behind climate change with Phoebe Scott, Alex Miller, Lottie Flashkiss and Guy Wilkinson. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the IB Green Minds podcast. My name is Alex Miller and today I'm delighted to be joined by Alberto Lopez, who is CEO and founder of Alva, a stakeholder intelligence firm. Alberto, welcome and thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, very nice to to be here. Very pleased to be here, and and thank you for inviting me, Alex. Great. Uh, well, it, it is a pleasure to have you on. So, just to kick us off, please could you give a brief introduction about yourself, including your background and your career to date? Sure, of course. So, as I'm, I'm currently, I'm the the founder and the CEO of Alva. Uh, Alva is a tech-enabled company that, as you mentioned, provides stakeholder intelligence for global organizations. I'm sure we'll have the chance to, to expand on, on that um, during our conversation. In terms of my career, I started actually as an intern in the second largest newspaper in Spain. And um, I studied, studied business and economics in Spain. And then I moved to the UK to study media management. It was, it was the time where the worst sort of internet, it was 1994-95 when I moved to the UK and internet was starting to take off. So I was very interested on, on how the media was changing. Uh, I graduated also from what used to be called CAS Business School. I think we are not allowed to say CAS anymore. Now it's based Business School and I graduated 20 years ago. And in, in terms of my career, I've worked in various global organizations always in the business intelligence and communication sector in, in various roles, really corporate development, marketing, sales, strategy. So um, yeah, I, I spent nearly, nearly 30 years in, in the sector. I'm also the published author of a book titled The Connecting Leader. That's, that's on, on the career front and I'm married. I have two beautiful, two beautiful kids and um, uh, um, I feel very blessed with what life has, has given me so far. Great. And we'll get into um, some questions later in terms of your experience of setting up the company. But just for the listeners, how long has Alva been around? So Alva was set up in, in 2010, although the sort of the incubation period, if you like, was, uh, was 12 months. I... Yeah, I got fired in February 2009. And it was one of those moments that I thought, okay, do I go to, to another corporate gig or do I pursue the, the sort of a, a, a different journey uh, of setting up a business and see where it takes me? So I decided for, for the latter. And um, yeah, it took, I took 12 months to really sort of... Um, Put all the all the different components before we launched the business in in March 2010. Okay, that's great. Sounds fascinating. So I'll make sure we leave some time at the end uh, for more of that. But just for a bit more context for the listeners, I mentioned that Alva is a stakeholder intelligence firm. Please, could you basically explain what this means and why it is important? Sure. Uh, so Alex, I'll start with a bit of with a bit of context just to place the. The, the use of the stakeholder intelligence and, and why, why it's needed. So 
it's it's clear that we live in, the, in a world in which companies are an integral part of society. They don't they no longer operate in, in isolation. But if you look at the in the in the 20th century, businesses were mainly focused on two stakeholder groups, on investors and and customers. And you know, and and in the 20th century, government was here and, and business was here, and they didn't really sort of interact with, with each other. In, in the 21st century, I think um, due to, to sort of three factors mostly, it, the kind of what, what I see as the collusion of three forces being globalization, sustainability, and the digital revolution, the business landscape really changed. Um, and that change actually led to, to a model in which businesses are an integral part of society, businesses and and government, they need to work very closely together. And also businesses, uh, as well as focusing on on investor uh, and and customers, they also need to focus on other other stakeholders, such as regulators, communities, staff. So it is is fundamental for companies to really navigate in in this landscape. It's, It's very important to understand how stakeholders perceive you. And what, why is that important? What's very clear today is that actually, if stakeholders are not rooting for you, the business is likely to be impacted negatively. And that negative impact, uh, it's likely to have an effect on the cost of doing business because you might not get the, the, the investors that you want. You might not get the, the caliber of people that the business needs. You might not get the support of the community that you need. And therefore, businesses now operate in an environment that actually those relationships are very, very important to the success of, of the business. So in order to really understand you know, perception of, of stakeholders, we, we devised this concept of stakeholder intelligence as a new kind of intelligence that um, it's built on real time. Uh, and it's based really on what stakeholders say about the organization and what do they do as a result of, of the actions of the organization. So um, it's, it's real time because actually with the interconnectivity that we have right now and, and a sort of a crave for hyper-transparency and also, also another dimension, which is a sort of a media anarchy it's really important to actually be aware at all times of that sort of intelligence. So what we do uh, in, in, in simplistic terms, we collect millions of, of pieces of content that are representative of stakeholder sentiment across 6,000 companies globally. And we actually simplify that uh, through different, different models of analysis that helps companies, again, understand stakeholder, stakeholder impact issues and all those things. Thank you. And you mentioned the models of analysis. So I think having read your website, I think you're alluding to their media reputation risk and ESG solutions. Um, mm. How does Alva define ESG and, and what is that particular solution? Look, I, I, think, I think ESG, from our perspective, it's a new... It's a result of stakeholder capitalism. You know, uh, 
it's it's a result of of companies actually being better connected with the environment in which they in which they operate. So um, from our perspective, the way that we actually uh, the, the way that actually we look at at ESG is really is how how the ESG initiatives that the company executes are being perceived by the stakeholders, and 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 that's that's a really a really important aspect to really understand whether your ESG initiatives actually are achieving the the, the intended objective. The case about about current ESG solutions, and this is why we we felt compelled to actually launch a new a new ESG, ESG intelligence because there are many many solutions out there in the market, but the majority of of the solutions for ESG intelligence in the market traditionally or historically have actually been based on company self-reporting. So basically taking a sustainability report or a CSR report and comparing that report across multiple metrics of companies within, uh, within the same sector. There is also another input, which is uh, the regulatory disclosure that uh, uh, that you have to put out there. But one one thing that was missing out of those data inputs was how your ESG initiatives are being perceived. Organizations have a lot of uh, influence to a certain extent on what they write on the CSR report or the ESG report, and therefore can be positioned in a particular in a particular manner, but is that really what stakeholders really expect from you? Is that really what stakeholders, what's going to drive positivity on stakeholders or not? Because actually, in some cases, the stakeholders are much closer to the operations that are being described in, in the report than a report that sometimes is being done at HQ level. So we think it's very important to also bring that stakeholder perspective to balance you know, what the company says versus what stakeholders perceive. Right. And so what are these uh, sort of key ESG issues that Alvaro is considering and how does the technology prioritize and, and weight these? So that, uh, the, the ESG issues that, um, there are two ways uh, of obtaining ESG issues. One, actually three ways. Uh, one is by analyzing the, the, the issues from the SASB framework, from the SASB reporting framework. And, and that's something we have in our system. Another one is organic issues. I, what really comes up to the surface across a wide range of, of ESG issues. And another one is uh, a sort of a more directed focus, which is basically the company determining that they wanna focus on a set of issues and those are the issues that are are going to be are going to be tracking. So in terms of in terms of the the technology, we have developed uh, an award-winning NLP that fundamentally uses a number of factors to construct a score, which and we we call this score stakeholder sentiment score. Fundamentally, what we actually look uh, uh, in the content, what, what we look in the content that we analyze is the sentiment associated to a particular entity. And that's one factor. 
So one is the sentiment associated to a particular entity, and an entity might be a company, might be an association, it might be a particular brand, a particular product. So there are different different things that you can sort of label as an entity. So that's the sentiment towards the entity, but also we factor that or we weigh that sentiment with the visibility of that sentiment from any given stakeholder. The premise here is that the higher the visibility of the sentiment, the more likely that stakeholder activists will hang on to this issue and demand change from the business. So you can imagine there are thousands of issues that a company is facing, but there are only few issues that that stakeholders are concentrating on. And these issues are very organic. They just, you know, they, they pop in, they pop out, and some of them have long life cycles. Some of them have short life cycles. Some of them are fake. Some of them are true. And therefore, what's really important for companies to understand is a wide, understanding this wide range of issues, but also where are they in the life cycle? Are they sort of a, a low, low visibility issue? Or, or they are basically at the tipping point of becoming a crisis? So that's, that's why we have these, these two factors. In terms of the, the ESG, as I said, we apply the SASB framework into our, into our taxonomy, and we've used the stakeholder sentiment to determine which issues are most important from the stakeholder framework, but also from the organic framework we have. So that's, that's uh, in, in a nutshell how the technology goes about, goes about this. I mean, obviously there are uh, many components in our, on our NLP that, that contribute towards assessing visibility. And, and many, many instances that actually determine the system the sentiment of, of a company. And, and that's the technology that we've really been building and we continue building uh, for the last 11 years. Great, that's, that's fascinating. And just to clarify for the, for the listeners, anyone who doesn't know, NLP, um, natural language processing. <laughs> I, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and, so you talked about users well who, who are the users of the ratings you talked about companies and how can they actually use this data to make better decisions and, and, and actions sure so the the focus of our business is mainly on on global 2000 companies so and we focus on on these organizations because they are the ones that actually operate on, on the most complexity uh, the complexity is driven by multiple regions, multiple jurisdictions, multiple uh, multiple stakeholders on each you know, on each of these jurisdictions, and so on. So, so they are surrounded a, a huge degree of of complexity. The the sort of the stakeholder intelligence as such, we basically have divided it into five different modules. So we have something for the communications team, which is the, the media media intelligence module, something for the corporate affairs team or external affairs or public affairs, which, which is the reputation intelligence. For the sustainability team, we have the, the ESG intelligence. For the CFO, we have the risk intelligence. And, and for the CEO, we have 
the board intelligence. Each of each of them use it differently. So let's say ESG really, they basically use it to, to really understand the ESG issues that are more impactful to, uh, to the organization and also use the intelligence as a um, lead indicator of what the uh, ESG ratings agencies might come up with. The sort of the ratings, the frequency of the ratings, it's either six monthly or, or annual, uh, with the, the frequency of ALVA, it's, it's real time. So, so you, can, you can sort of see, see that on, on real time. Whereas look, on, on, on reputation, it's really all about managing the relationship with stakeholders and understanding how the stakeholders from the positive perspective or negative perspective perceive you and, and develop those sort of um, stakeholder management the strategies to obtain the support from, from your stakeholders. On, on the risk side, it's obviously, it's about assessing the, the severity of the impact of, of the risk issues. So on the, on the risk side, we only analyze negative, negative content. Uh, for, for the media, really, to sort of really understand what the media is saying about the, the company and be able to create narratives that again support, you know, the strategy of the company and, and what the company stands for in a way that actually navigates through the complexity of what I mentioned earlier as the media anarchy that currently exists. And for the board, this really it's uh, it's as simple as creating a sort of a, a linking the stakeholder sentiment to a set of KPIs that the that the that the board tracks. So it's. It's linking external analysis of, of stakeholders with the internal metrics of the business and actually identify where there might be points of correlation or causation. And I know investors are just uh, one set of, of stakeholders, but have, have you looked at anything like how the scores track with maybe share price performance and so could could investors use this information and sentiment analysis to make better investments on the company yeah investment? yeah I think I think that's that's kind of the as I said we've mostly concentrated over the years with the with the global 2000 we're starting to work now with the advisory community and um, and one of the areas that um, uh, we're getting we're getting interest is from providers that that provide information to the investment community as an input to factor uh, mm. uh, in the as another data point to take into account when assessing an organization. Um, I know from experience in the past that actually the the reputational aspect has been taken more anecdotally. And fairly crudely, but just getting something as crude as, as as Google News. But but the level of sophistication and and the openness to obtain new data sets is is changing. And again, given given sort of the drivers right now towards the stakeholder capitalism, the impact that stakeholders have in business and so on, that is a factor that uh, that investors starting to to take notice. And we are having 
approaches from, as I said, from, from large businesses that provide information to investors that they want to incorporate this sort of intelligence as part of their, their toolkit. And to potentially bring this to life a little bit, do you know which industries and maybe companies as well are performing best at the moment, according to uh, the, the sort of scoring methodology focusing on the ESG side? I think I think it's a it's a tricky one, and I'll and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, when you actually analyze analyze a sector and the way in which we actually operate at that in the business is actually we analyze companies by sectors because actually sectors have an impact on the perception of businesses, and sectors where you operate uh, have an impact on on the perception of businesses. And, and you cannot disentangle a company from a sector which it, in which it operates. So that's, that's an, an important aspect. The other, the other aspect that is very important is that actually the issues driving the sectors differ from sector to sector. The, the issues driving the financial services sector are very different from the issues driving the mining sector, for instance. But in, ten, in terms of you know, companies that appear to be performing best according to the to the ESG score. Yeah, we, we publish all sorts of rankings on a on a sector basis. And what what I would say is that actually in in all sectors you actually have winners and losers. And winners tend to be the companies that have been thinking and developing ESG initiatives for the last 20 years or more. You know, I think companies that actually this way of thinking has been embedded in the way of, of operating for many years. It's not, it's not the, the new thing that they need to adopt. That has sort of been part of, part of the business. And you also have companies that are sort of more starting the, uh, started the journey a few years ago or, or starting the journey, the journey now. So yeah, it's it's that's my my sort of observation of the winners and, and the losers. It's you get you get them in all sectors, and um, it, it mostly is linked to the DNA of the company, you know, and uh, how the company has been operating for for some time. Right. So it sounds like it's quite hard for a company to almost greenwash or basically focus on trying to make the score look better without actually taking the fundamental actions it needs to. Yeah, look, I think, I think that, is, that is the fundamental difference that we saw following, following the, the sort of the digitalization that we've experienced for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the probably greenwashing was easier before because the, the channels of influence were controlled by few outlets, by few yeah. media outlets, and those influences, you know, had developed really positive relationships uh, with with those companies, and so there will be a sort of a, a relationship where, you know, if, if you do an expose of my company, I'm never going to give you a story about the business. You know, you'll never know. So the the, the, the sort of organizations and and the media sort of needed each other. These days, you know, Twitter changed all that. Uh, these days, 
journalists don't long, no longer go to businesses, they actually go to Twitter to actually get the stories. And then, and then they get the commentary from, from organizations. Yeah. So it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly more difficult to greenwash. Of course, it, it also depends of, of sort of the, the democratic state of, of its country. You know, there are some countries that they are more prone to greenwash than, than others. But uh, mostly greenwash sooner or later actually gets found out because actually stakeholders now have a voice, they have channels. And as I said, at the center of all of this is the activism that actually has a, a negative impact in a business. And ultimately companies have to adopt a more authentic way of operating. Okay, oh, that's, that's very interesting. And going to change tack a little bit now, I know we have a number of aspiring entrepreneurs in our listener base um so it'd be great to hear more about your experience of, of founding the company so I, I guess my my first question would be about how you approach taking the idea basically from a from a concept to a real life business mm. yeah indeed indeed so as i said as i said at the beginning i was i was as fired and uh that really led me to, to really think what I wanted to do in, in my career and, and, and the value that I wanted, that I wanted to create. And um, it came very clear to me, 2007, 2009, we actually saw the, the mass adoption of social media. You know, it's just like when... When, when Facebook, 2007, when Facebook became mainstream, Twitter launched in, in 2007, and uh, uh, the iPhone was launched, I think, in maybe 2006, 2007. So there, there were a number of, of key events that drove this huge explosion of content and, and self-published content. And, and it came very clear to, to, to me that... Uh, as I had been in my throughout throughout my career, as I said, I started started sort of an internship in a in a newspaper in Spain because I was I've always been very fascinated about communication, and it was it it, it came very clear that actually the role of communication really was going to change business, and that um, and that people now with with these devices with these platforms they actually had the chance to be to be activist and to to be uh, to unite with with network effects to create momentum on issues that really that really matter so that was that sort of kind of in my in my head and um, the business that I, that I worked for had been in the sort of in the media analysis media monitoring space and um, i also had seen how that was being done in a very traditional way. So I just explored the idea to see, you know, what was done around uh, unpacking reputation, but analyzing reputation. And what I discovered that while, while the, the theory of reputation was well understood and, and well developed, the actual data acquisition of, of, repu of reputation at data points 
was uh, uh, was very obsolete. It was very much based done on a on a survey basis to a very small sample of people, and you will basically uh, form a view of how you're being perceived based on on a very small sample of people. Mm. Where actually I saw the opportunities, like no, 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 no. What's happening in the media landscape in, in traditional media, social media, broadcast media? It's a proxy of how stakeholders feel and think about and say about the company. So what we uh, what we decided is to basically uh, tap into into that vast amount of data that is being created every day, and and figure out a way to analyze all that data to be able to obtain, as I said, very granular data sets of how the stakeholders uh, perceive the organization on very granular issues at very granular um, sort of location level. That was the, the sort of the, the thesis. Of course, putting it to practice, it's, it's, it's a different story, yeah? <laughs> And you know the the the, fun, the whole fun of this is how you go from a vision to it feels impossible. It didn't feel impossible to me, but actually, I, I heard I heard that many times. It's just impossible and to to actually start building those components and achieving those sort of early successes that tells you that kind of you're doing going into mm. into the right path. So. I was, I was very fortunate to find two other co-founders for the company that uh, they really bought into the vision. Uh, each of them brought different expertise. So we had a, a, a guy who, who has a good understanding on, on media analysis. We had another guy who had a good understanding on, on tech and NLP. And, you know, collectively, the, the three of us, started sort of giving giving shape to to this concept and and the application of this hypothesis really that's really cool and what would you say were your or was your single biggest challenge the the, the businesses succeed because of people it's uh, to uh, i mean there, there are a number of factors but actually it's people product market fit it's funding is right timing to market. They, they also there are a number of factors, but actually, I think the the one that really does make the difference having the right team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having the right team, it's it's a very difficult thing to achieve because actually, the team that starts and the, and the early employees are right for that phase of the business, mm-hmm. but the, uh, as the business develops. And you actually start to put more processes in place, and so on. Some of those people might not that might not enjoy a sort of a, a, a more sort of organized type of business. They yeah. they they might still enjoy sort of the chaotic sort of um, free agent type of, of way of operating. And then when you when you get into into really sort of scale up mode again. It is a different dynamic. So I, I think that uh, the important thing is it's ensure that um, 
that you get the right people at every stage of the business. And that actually there's a sort of a, a very authentic and honest relationship between, between the people to recognize when, you know, when, um, whether the next phase is the right one mm-hmm. to, to move on or, uh, and that's, that's hard, you know, because actually it, not, not everybody wants, wants to, to pre- progress or develop or operate in that manner. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned sort of scaling up the business. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to ask you what one last question, and that's more on your approach to funding the company and, and basically how, how, you, how you did this and any advice you would give to someone who maybe is or has founded a company and is, is looking to that next sort of phase of growth. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one because actually the uh, funding, funding strategy is not probably one that I would recommend. Uh, but nevertheless, I, th- I think it was a really, a really valuable lesson for us. Uh, look, I think the, it, it depends what the individual wants. But uh, if, if the individual actually wants, wants to, to retain as much control as possible of the business, then you know, the, the, the best way to fund the business is if you have, especially if you have a, a tech component, the best way to fund, to fund the business is to launch a proposition very quickly to market to generate cash flow. Use that cash flow to reinvest in the business and and so on. I, I've never been a big fan of doing all sorts of funding rounds without having a business that is that is ready to scale. I'm more of the fan of okay, now we've got a business that is ready to scale. So now let's really invest and let's put horsepower behind behind these. So I think there is there is. Um, I think it's it's really about managing control versus managing speed to market and speed to, to market capture. We we actually in the business we were we got a, a seed round, we got a series A round, which mostly went to pay off accrued interest on the seed round. Uh, so we didn't really get that much. Then we raised a bit of debt. And then we recently uh, had a majority investment from a P firm in the state, which, by the way, it's it's actually put the business where we really wanted it to be, from the mm-hmm. from the finding perspective. So it took us it took us a while to to do that. So we we went through kind of a bootstrapping, fairly bootstrapping stage in the business, longer than probably we will have liked, but also. It meant that we were extremely focused on cash flow, extremely disciplined on where we put in the focus, extremely disciplined on generating generating sales, extremely disciplined on on basically running a business with self funded. Cool. No, no, that's some uh, great insights there. And we are running relatively short on time now, so. We've got a couple of questions that we ask each guest that we've we've had on throughout the year. So I'll, I'll start off with the first one, which is just what advice would you give to someone who is considering starting their own company? Look, I think 
uh, start, starting a company, it means that actually you're going to do, you're going to cross the valley of death many times. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be tested hundred times and you're going to have situations that are constantly going to be asking you, is this really, is this what you really want? So I think, I think it's, it's very important to, to actually be able to deal with that, with, with the, the sort of um, complex journey. Uh, it's, I think that the most important thing is to be emotionally connected to what you want and why you want it. And ensure that actually you align, uh, you align to that emotional connection at all times. That emotional connection is what's going to really propel you in, in the bad times. So if you really uh, know what you want to do and what you want to do, and that really resonates within, within you, then I think you will find a way to find the solutions. If somehow is, is disconnected, Sooner or later, you'll, you'll give up. The other thing I would say, and I've got sort of five different, five different points. The other thing I would say is have a long-term vision, but put a plan for the next six months mm-hmm. because things are going to change very, very quickly. It's very important to prioritize, to prioritize well and just focus on the things that make the most difference to achieve what you want to achieve, not the things that you enjoy doing. There are many things that actually you enjoy doing that might not be that important. Therefore, the, those, those will get in the way on achieving your objectives. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really being honest about what really are the things that actually matter the most here. Whether I like them or not, it's, it's, it's sort of irrelevant. Uh, we touched on this earlier, but it's really about building the best team and that you can possibly can within your means. And always strive to have the right people on the right seats always as the business evolves. And the last, the last thing, and probably is the most important of all, it's look after your team, listen to them, show them, show them that they have your back and just kind of have a really sort of um, healthy and, and honest relationship. Might not, you might not always agree, but actually showing that uh, you have respect for them and that you care for them, it's... Uh, it's fundamental. It's a great set of advice points there. And now for the final question is, if listeners were to take away one key message from our conversation, uh, what would you like it to be? Okay. Again, I thought, I thought about this. And um, look, my, what, what sort of came, came to, to my mind or came natural to me, this is, this is what I, I, I say pretty much to everybody that works in the business or everybody that, that comes, comes across for advice. It's, uh, you know, give your best every day and allow things to come to you. Just don't force it. You know, things will come to you, but also there's, you gotta, you got to put yourself out there every single day, giving your best. When it's the right time, things will come to you, but you got to allow them to come. Sometimes we think that we control many things, which we don't. What we control is, is what we do, but actually we don't always control the outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really about allowing those outcomes to also come to you by doing the right things. Right. Well, on that note, 
I think it's time to, to close off the podcast. So it's been a fascinating conversation with you today. So thank you very much. I was really, sounds like a fascinating company and uh, congratulations on closing your latest round of funding. Thank you very much. It's been a, a great pleasure talking to you.